0: To the Basic Income Podcast. I'm Owen Poindexter. And I'm Jim Pugh.
1: Over the last one to two years, we've seen some pretty exciting new economic analyses come out around the policy of universal basic income. And one of the primary drivers
0: behind those analyses has been the Roosevelt Institute, a policy think tank located in New York. So here to help us dive in to some of those analyses is Rakeen Maboud, Program Director of the Roosevelt Institute. Welcome, Rakeen.
2: Thanks. Thanks for having me, Owen and Jim. It's great to be here.
0: So why don't you just start by telling us about the Roosevelt Institute, what the Roosevelt Institute does and your role in it?
2: Sure. So my name is Rakeen, as you have already mentioned, and I am the program director for the 21st Century Economy Program at the Roosevelt Institute. Roosevelt is an economic policy research organization. We're based here in New York. um, And my team digs into all kinds of questions around the changing economy, the future of work, and what we think the 21st century social contract should look like.
1: Now, the Roosevelt Institute has done a lot of work studying basic income, but does not have an official stance for or against a policy. Can you tell us what are the main motivating factors for you all doing this work?
2: Sure. So the program that I run, the 21st century economy program, approaches universal basic income or basic income through the lens of the question, how can we develop a 21st century social contract that works for everyone? So as your listeners probably know, our current social contract is premised on an economic system that presumes long-term employee-employer relationships and employment-based benefits and economic security. So this social contract isn't working for a lot of people now, but it also hasn't historically helped vulnerable communities across the country. To me, UBI is one policy option that starts to explore the ways in which we can increase economic security through a more flexible and unconditional social safety net. Some of our previous research has shown that giving people cash can have a lot of positive impacts. So in a paper that the Roosevelt Institute released last year, we showed that giving families cash resulted in children having better educational outcomes. They were less likely to drop out of school, for instance. They had better attendance, better grades, better test scores. And people who got cash transfers without you know, any strings attached were also likely to have better health outcomes. So we know that cash can work. Um, And the UBI conversation is really refreshing, especially to me as an individual, because it forces us to confront the fact that as a society, we've made a choice in the past not to provide economic security for everyone. So it asks us and pushes us to think of bolder and bigger solutions for the problem of insecurity in this country. So I tend to think of universal basic income as part of a broader package of things that we should be considering as we think about the new social safety net. So that can be anything from a UBI to universal health care system, universal child and elder care, or even a federal jobs guarantee. We have to really think about overhauling the way our social safety net works to ensure that everyone in this country can live a dignified life.
0: So the Roosevelt Institute modeled the economic effects of a universal basic income at three different levels. $1,000 per month for all adults, $500 a month for all adults, and a $250 per month child allowance. a lot to unpack here. So can you start by describing the assumptions of this study, what it makes about the economy, and what were the big takeaways from the study?
2: Sure, and I should say at the top that an economic model is simply a stylized approximation of how our economy works. So any approximation like this has to take into account certain assumptions. So we shouldn't take the results of this paper to be the gospel truth, but rather use it to understand that it gives us a rough estimate of what would happen if we put in place a very large federal spending program. And in the paper, we raise taxes to finance the UBI. And the basic assumption underpinning the results is that increasing the marginal tax rate does not cause workers to work less. So other macroeconomic models would make different and likely less optimistic forecasts because they would disagree with these assumptions. So the headline results are basically no matter how you finance it, unconditional cash transfers would cause the economy to grow significantly. Under the largest transfer program, the largest cash program where we model giving $1,000 for all adults annually each month. It expands the economy by more than 12% over the baseline after eight years. So it's a pretty large effect.
1: So thinking in a bit more on, on the model you talked about, could you say a, a bit more? You'd mentioned that you made the assumption that increasing the marginal tax rate would not result in a significant change in, in workforce participation, and others may not. Can you speak to why those different expectations might exist?
2: One might expect that if you give people cash with no strings attached, they'll think to themselves, hey, I now have some cash in my hands. I no longer have to work to get income, to get the resources I need to live my life. Previous work that we've done um, with Jana Marinescu has shown that that just tends not to be the case. There are some empirical results that indicate that while people might take a little bit more vacation, they don't actually stop working. So even though logically you might assume that giving people cash would cause people to stop working, that's actually not the case.
0: So your study shows a tremendous amount of economic growth. Where do you see this growth coming from? Is it from a particular income level or, or you know, what causes all that growth?
2: Yeah, so the reason why unconditional cash transfers to households result in so much growth in this model that we run is because the model itself assumes that the size of the economy is constrained by the total demand for goods and services in the economy. This is something that economists call aggregate demand. So if we assume, as the model does, that aggregate demand is low because household income is low, you can see how a policy that directly increases household income through unconditional cash transfers could cause the economy to grow. So these results not only shed light on what a universal basic income might do to an economy, but also what might happen with other large scale spending programs, for example, like a single pair healthcare system. But more importantly, it confirms what we at Roosevelt have been saying for a really long time, which is that there's just a lot of room to grow in our economy and there's a lot of room to get creative about what our social safety net could look like.
1: Now, the economic impact of UBI is only one of the various basic income-related projects that Roosevelt is engaged in. Can you tell us what other work
2: you're doing on this issue? So we're in the early stages of two exciting projects. The first piece, we're going to be looking at the assumptions that underpin the idea that conditional cash transfers are somehow better than unconditional cash transfers. So conditional cash transfers are something like, you know, the earned income tax credit. You have to work and have certain income requirements in order to get that benefit versus something like a universal basic income, which you would get regardless of how much you worked or whatever your income was. So in addition to looking at some of the economic assumptions that people generally make to justify conditional cash transfers, We'll also be digging into some of the questions of deservingness that often come into play when we talk about these types of programs. So we're actually hoping to look specifically at the the earned income tax credit, also known as the EITC, and do some quick back of the envelope calculations about the impact of making a program like that unconditional. And then the second program is, again, really early stages. We're looking at how different forms of a basic income program might affect the racial wealth gap, which is a huge huge problem in our society and economy. I won't say too much because we're still very much in the planning stages of that work, but stay tuned.
0: Is there anything you can share about any of those studies or, or too early?
2: It's just too early. I mean, we're, we're literally like outlining them right now, so nothing yet.
0: <laughs> so that you've obviously already done quite a bit and more on the way. Beyond what you're already doing, what sort of analyses do you feel like are most needed around UBI?
2: I think the thing is that universal basic income advocates often talk about UBI like it's a panacea for all of our social and economic problems. And clearly that's not the case, right? It's so important that we do incorporate and more institutional analysis into the way we think about a universal basic income. So UBI sits in the context of a broader economy and the the way the broader economy is set up. We can give every person living in this country a thousand dollars a month, but that won't go as far if the economy is rigged against the everyday person. So each UBI dollar will go further if we, for example, have a fairer tax system, better protections for workers, less power in the hands of the corporations and the wealthy. So it's important for us not to lose sight of these broader structural reforms that need to happen along the extension of these benefits. And more research around the interaction between some of these structural changes and institutional changes with a cash transfer program would be really interesting.
1: All right, well, those were all the questions that we had. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Joaquin?
2: I think we just clearly need bolder solutions to our economic problems. We all on this call agree on that. And the current economic insecurity, inequality, and poverty that we see in the U.S. is a conscious policy choice, right? There's plenty of money in our system. We just tend to be sending it to the wrong places. We're sending it to the 1% and these corporations that have enormous amounts of power in our economy. So we need to think bigger about our social safety net, and some form of cash transfer program could definitely be a part of that.
1: That was Rakeen Maboud. Program Director at the Roosevelt Institute.
0: I think it is really important to always remember that basic income, even though it's something that we're designing on a very theoretical basis, it exists within a context. And for us, that's the context of the United States, our current economy, our current welfare system, and economic analyses like these are a big piece of the puzzle to help put this policy in the context of our current reality. Yeah, absolutely. That we can look at all the individual
1: impacts, but at the end of the day, we need to be keeping that larger perspective and seeing how it connects to everything else. I also thought it was, and we say this frequently, but I I really think we can't say it too much, the point that we came in at the end about choice and the fact that the way our systems work today are really a political choice. We actually have policies that our welfare policies that are actually oftentimes transferring more assets and more revenue to people who already have a lot and that if you look at the abundance that exists within our economy if we so choose as a country we can absolutely afford to enact really large-scale reform policy it's like basic income
0: like universal health care yeah and I think that's very motivating for for anyone to realize that our current levels of poverty, yeah, This at the macro level, this is optional, not for the people experiencing those, obviously, but for us as a society, we don't need to have this level of poverty.
1: Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Basic Income Podcast. Thank you to our producer, Eric Davison. If you like what you hear, please do make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or the podcast service of your choice. And please do tell your friends. We're always looking for new listeners. We'll talk to you next time.